Hello and welcome into the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee, joined by Billy Derrick and Luke Wyatt, as is the case on Wednesdays. Our show is part of the 440 Sports Network, which brings you excellent shows, Titans, Predators, soccer, you name it. They've got your Nashville-related sports content, so give them a, a view when you get a chance. Uh, our show is presented by four sponsors, one of which is the Wash House. If you are dreading laundry day, if it is stealing time for the things that you truly enjoy, like fall break, and let the laundry professionals at the Wash House take care of that for you with two convenient locations in the greater Nashville area. Drop off your dirty laundry, and our professional attendants can give you back the one thing you can never have enough of, and that is your time. Within 24 hours, you can pick up your nicely folded, fresh, and clean laundry ready to be put away. Check them out at washhouseclean.com. Stop in today. Get your time back. Wash House is going to be the sponsor of our basketball content for this season, which I think people are yearning for at this point. Uh, our guests today are Billy and Luke. They're presented by the Murfreesboro Pure Milk Studio, which is presented by the Murfreesboro Pure Milk Company, a family-owned third-generation milk and ice cream distribution company located in Murfreesboro. They've got partnerships with Purity Dairy, in northern, excuse me, southern Kentucky, northern Alabama, Chattanooga, North Georgia. They also supply convenience stores and other grocery stores with Purity products, as well as Mayfield, Nestle, and haagen Gentlemen, stocked up the fridge last week, or the freezer. Got go. loose tracks, not the chocolate kind, but the vanilla kind, which are more a little more peanut butter-based, uh-huh. and some chocolate ice cream. That's my, my son's favorite. Guess what? It's all gone. There, there might be like a half serving of of moose tracks left, but that's that's how it goes. Right? No, not not Oreo this week. Oreo is not the culprit. Um, oh. you can't feed dog stuff with chocolate in it. So, um, yes, it's it's the stuff, man. Those guys make our show possible. Mm-hmm. Um, a show where it is increasingly getting harder to find things to talk about in an original way. So let's start here. My voice still has not recovered from Monday night. How about Michael Harris? How about it? <laughs> I know this is not a Braves podcast. I was um, wondering, I, I was listening to one of your other videos on Southeastern 14, Chris, and I was like, why is this voice why, why is this voice like that? And I go, the Braves. I, I, I know was what it is. At the TV. Yeah, that was <laughs> I got my son and I let loose when um when Riley hit the home run and when they made that catch in the ninth. Got a story for you. I was in Atlanta. I wasn't at the game, but I was in Atlanta. And I went to the send-off yesterday before we came home. To You know, they did a, like a little red carpet, and everybody came out to get aboard the bus to go to the airport. And uh, Fox – is it Fox 2 down in Atlanta? Anyway, they interviewed me about the game like I was did there. They really? <laughs> I'm like, no, Dan. I'm did here. you just go with it? No, I didn't. I let them know that it was a great game, and I actually I enjoyed the game, or whatever. But uh, you know, I'll send you the tape later on. Yeah, our man, Chris, our man and- Vandy Fitz on the board sent me a, a text with with video. He was at the game, so good for him. Nice. I'm happy for the Vandy Braves fans that that had that started to get some more joy in their life. <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple of them. Yeah. All right, we'll, we'll get to Vandy and look. We've reached that point in the season. <laughs> I've done this a few times where you just 
recycle the same topic. So we're going to mostly be a mailbag-based show today. But, gentlemen, I want to read you some stuff. My good friend Trey Wallace, Trey Wallace at OutKick, wrote this this week. I'm just going to read this. It's not a long article, but I want to get your reaction as it intersects with Vanderbilt football. The title of the article is, <clears throat> Forget the Facilities. Mike Gundy says, don't build it. Put the money in the bank for NIL. College football world continues to change. Okay. The article says, if you've been paying attention to the current era of college football, then Mike Gundy's comments on NIL are a roadmap of where we're headed. Forget raising money for facilities. Put it towards the NIL bank at Oklahoma State. Reality has struck college coaches around the country that rather than having donations go towards a university or a new project, it needs to go towards buying players. It's tough for most of these coaches to wrap their brains around legal pay for play because the NCAA isn't going to do a thing about it. If you thought Congress was going to get involved, you're mistaken. There's too much going on right now for Washington to worry about NIL. So when Mike Gundy or Mark Stoops, and I'll get to Mark Stoops in a minute, wants donors to put all their chips in the NIL pot, you might as well follow the rest of football. In terms of donations to the school for the athletic department, Gundy has come to the realization that it is better used for NIL. Quote, don't build it, put money in the bank, unquote, Mike Gundy said. Quote, put the money in the bank and spend it on NIL. That's just the future, and I'm not saying I agree with it. I know the sign of the times. Players used to want to go somewhere for shiny new facilities and uniforms and things like that. They still want to go somewhere where they can win, but they also want other stuff. I'm going to hypothetically build a situation. If you brought in 50 of our players and said, will NIL you fifty dollars to $60,000 a year cash, or can we build you a new weight room and meeting room, which one do you want? They're going to take the money, right? That's what kids do nowadays. Um, and then the headline, the subheadline: Mike Gunny losing players to the portal, chasing better deals. In what has turned into a common practice around college la- athletics, a lot of these players hitting the transfer portal or searching for better opportunities. Now, whether that's because of money or playing time is a question for the player. But as he discussed NIL and his current Oklahoma State team, Mike Gunny emphasized some of these players are taking money now, knowing they won't play in the NFL. Quote, there's a good percentage of players that are leaving schools, and I know for a fact we've had some here that have left to go take NIL money because they know they're not a pro player, Gundy noted. So I can go play for somebody and get one hundred fifty dollars or $200,000 a year for two years, and I'm not good enough to play in the NFL, or I can stay in school and get thirty dollars or $40,000. So that's not going to be a good business decision. You can't blame them for doing it, but that's what's going on. Um, anyway, the rest of the article, um, doesn't do anything to, to make the points that we can't make for what I've already read. Um, you had Mark Stoops coming out on, I don't remember Monday talking about how, if you want us to compete with Georgia, they don't have our NIL situation. Keep in mind what in hindsight was the best player on the roster at Vanderbilt last year is now at Kentucky, which claims it has an inferior NIL situation. Uh, that there, there are other explanations for this season, but I, I think that is one that continually gets underplayed. And until they figure that out, and I have no signs to believe they will, I don't know how this program gets stuck out of the ditch that it's in. Luke, I'll turn to you first. Well, and I kind of mentioned it to you off air. Uh, let's look at Duke. Okay. 
They're a top 25 team right now. They're, they're, that's the closest comparison I can come to. Henry Beelan, who played at Vanderbilt, hmm. will be starting against NC State this weekend. And I'm very close to Henry. And I asked him, I said, Henry, what are they doing? Because I know Vanderbilt's lagging way behind in NIL. He said, Luke, we don't have much NIL at all. He said, Coach Elko's got the kids playing hard. He said, now, at the end of the season, like I've mentioned here, at the end of the season, it's going to tell the tale whether they retain players at Duke. But he said, Luke, he goes, it's quality of kids. Hmm. Now, does that mean Vanderbilt has poor quality kids? No, it doesn't. Uh, Does that mean that our coaches can't coach? Uh, So so from that perspective, that's where I see that. Now, you're right. If we don't, and I, I said this all along, at the end of the season, retention of players and what we do about NIL is the only thing we need to worry about. Now, there's going to be some coaching changes, in my opinion. I don't know that. I haven't been told that. I think there will be. But if we don't get that right and the university doesn't step up, then it doesn't matter in football. It's too big of a bear to wrestle. Yeah, and Chris, I mean, you talk about Ray Davis. That kind of tells you where Vanderbilt is. They just lost, you know, arguably their best player from last year to Kentucky. And Kentucky's head coach, Mark Stoops, is out here talking about, you know, Georgia has a, a better NIL, right? We, we need, you know, pony up Kentucky fans. I thought that was kind of an interesting comment. I, th- I thought you could probably place more blame on on the coaching and execution against Georgia yeah. uh, for Kentucky. But, I mean, a fact still remains, Vanderbilt is – they're not going to get out of last in the NIL standings in the SEC, right? I think we know that. Duke, I mean, you mentioned it. Duke, Luke, Duke is probably at the bottom, they or are. at least towards towards the bottom of the ACC. So, uh, you know, Elko, we like to compare all the time. I thought Elko was thrown into a better situation than Clark Cutcliffe left him some some good players, um, I think. And But, you know, fans have the right to look at Duke and say, why can't we be that? You know, so it goes both ways. But, Chris, I, I, I just – something's got to give here. I don't know what it is. I'm like you. I don't know how Vanderbilt crawls out of this hole. They're going to have to get creative. Uh, they're probably going to have to think outside the box. Uh, I think they're trying to do that. Um, and, and we'll see. But, you know, this is today's day and age. So, you know, everybody – is going to, and we, we've seen what, what has sort of happened to Clemson. Now, Clemson's not dead by any means, but, you know, as a coach, if you're not thinking about NIL and, and, and getting players into your program through the portal, you're not, you're not doing your job right. I, at least I don't think. This is where they are as of this week heading into the Georgia game. And these ratings all take into account not just winning and losing, but probably more of it margin of victory. Jeff Sagard, Vanderbilt is 110 among the, what is it, 133 FBS teams. Yeah. And if you, Sagard actually includes FCS teams in there. If you include those, I think there's about a dozen or so ahead of Vandy, too. Uh, let me read you the other ones that I follow ESPN's FPI, Vanderbilt 103. That is just, and the other, this one and the next three I will read just include. FBS teams, 103 in FPI, 88 in SP+. That's the highest they are. 104 in 
for now efficiency index and 101 at team rankings. Um, the, the only power five school that is behind Vanderbilt on the whole is Stanford, and it's not by much. And I'm, I'm looking, and Vanderbilt's behind Jacksonville State, which just went to FBS <clears throat> in right. four of the five polls. That's kind of where things are. Um, and, again, I, I don't know everything that needs to be changed, uh, but but I know that continuing to do this dance with the resources they've got does not appear to be a winning fight. Look, can I ask one question to both of you guys? All right, if you're you're Coach Lee, and uh, let's just we'll use Ray Davis. If if you offer Ray Davis a hundred thousand, okay, but now Kentucky's going to offer me one hundred and fifty. What do you do, right? Is, is are we in an auction here? Okay, we'll give you one seventy-five. All right, Kentucky, we'll give you two hundred. What do you do if you're Coach Lee? You just keep bidding. I mean, what? Uh, what you're you're, you're saying- might, might have been a better solution, but I get it. I I don't I don't know. I, I do. I'll, I'll tell you this, and I don't know this for a fact, but if I had to bet on the question of do they, and this is based on a little bit of information. It's it's by, by no means anywhere near complete. I would bet you if you had to say, do they have 10% of Kentucky's NIL or do they not? My guess is it would be no. Right, and Duke doesn't have 10% of Florida State's. Right. But yeah. yet won six or seven games or whatever. Well, look, th- there, there are things that can be attributed to multiple causes. And, and sure. trust me, from running a sports message board for nearly 21 years, people have problems grasping that. It could be this and that. Sure. But, but I think I think this is at least – that they, they, are, they are not getting an advantage over anybody in NIL. I think that's safe to say. And when you're trying to pull yourself out of a ditch – You've got to work to find advantages, or at least, I mean, it, I'll give them at least they are working to find ways to neutralize disadvantages with facilities, but that's all it is. Their facilities are not going to give them a competitive advantage when they are done. It's just going to pull them out of the ditch and put them on level ground with, with other teams there in, in some ways. So, and I, and I, the whole reason we're talking about this, I think, is because of how this season has gone. Sure. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, if, this revolves around this season. This isn't, you know, if they're winning, we wouldn't be talking about this. So, yeah, I mean, you know, started with the UNLV loss, right? And then, you know, you had the Wake loss before that as well. But I just think, like Chris, let, let me and, and Luke, let me ask you this. If Vanderbilt would have found a way to beat UNLV, how much of this perception would have changed? But they don't, they have still haven't won an SEC game. Would, would it? Would it be any different right now? Not much. I don't think no, uh, because every time and I talked to Joey, every time it's a critical point in the game, what do we do? Wait for it, pull the punt right before half when it's a one-score game. Uh, Kentucky, we have we've cut it to eleven. They're throwing out of the end zone. We get a personal foul. They score again. Well, same thing when we played Missouri. Same thing Florida. We get it. Cameron Johnson drops a touchdown past the goal line. Mm-hmm. Uh, we pick up a fourth down and then fumble. It's, it, anytime there's a critical part of the game and we have to stay within striking distance, we screw it up. Yeah. You know. 
the bottom line of, of where I think they are, and Luke, I want to hear your opinion on this uh, because you you have better context than on Vanderbilt football than probably anybody alive. Eleven coaches. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at, at least, like I said, at least they are finally trying to get themselves out of the ditch and to, to level ground on facilities. At least they finally have priority registration. They're finally, and you couldn't get them to do this for a while, bringing themselves just up to speed in the basic things that were terrible disadvantages. But what are they doing to provide themselves a competitive advantage anywhere? They're, they're just taking away things that are liabilities and making them either not liabilities or less liabilities. And I can't find – I know Vanderbilt will say city degree SEC. Um, I, I don't I don't see that as having been a winning formula that's helped them in football before. Luke, where, where do they find a competitive advantage? Well, <clears throat> I don't know that they that you have to again people don't want to talk about history but you have to look at the history of Admiral football we've gone through you know last year and you have to take into as bad as we are this year you have to take into a fact that they won five games last year if we win one zero Clark's first year won two last year <clears throat> and won three this year <clears throat> we wouldn't be talking about the same stuff <clears throat> so I excuse me so I, here's my thing with Vanderbilt football. We have a proof, we have a pattern of 100-plus years of losing, except for very rare occasions. It, we've had on your board, Chris, they've been so critical of Bobby Johnson, it makes you sick. Bobby Johnson is one of the very few coaches that took us to a bowl and won a bowl game. We've only won four in 100-something years. What are So do people think, a coach is going to come in in three years. We're going to turn it all around in year three and go to a bowl and win. I thought this team had a chance to go to a bowl. And again, it was off of last year's results. But every year's different. Every game's different. So what they're doing, I don't know that they know what they should do. As a university, I know they don't. How do you, how do you ever get past that? I, I, think it's, I don't think it's a magic formula for it. Um, in football, it's just such a massive undertaking. And, and you can look at the other schools' histories as well. There's yeah. been – Duke's been awful. Northwestern was, what, 1-11 last year? You know, I'm sure their fans are saying the same stuff. They're in a mess up there right now. So, I mean, private schools have a huge disadvantage, especially in today's climate. Yeah. I mean, it's massive. I yeah. don't think the – any private school get into the top 12. I don't. And stay there. Yeah, look at Stanford. I mean, yeah. another good example. Um, I think potentially SMU, a future Big 12 team, right, Chris? I mean, I think they're they're going to have to – they have ponied up, right, at least financially. SMU's got but, some money in that program yeah. from what I have heard. So that's um, a little different. Yeah, but I think SMU – I think SMU could be used as an example. Right. They, when have they ever really been a preeminent program in football? I mean, they've been they've been decent. <laughs> they were paying people left and right until they got caught. <laughs> exactly. It's before you exactly. were alive, Billy. Okay, so good point there, Chris. <laughs> but but that's what I'm talking about, right? You have to pony up. 
you know, in, in this day and age and, you know, hence I think they're, they are the, the Mustangs. So they have done that and Vanderbilt, a similar private institution in, in a, it's in Dallas, right. In a big city. So I just, I think there's avenues. You just got to find them if, if you're Vandy. I agree. I mean, look that's at, a mute. Georgia Tech sits there and gets a game handed to them by Miami. Oh, boy. Will, we, will someone please give us a gift like that? Mario, go to a knee. But they just lost to Bowling Green the week before. Right. Uh-huh. So, I mean, they're not a – they were gifted a game. We're the ones been handing out the gifts on top of all our other issues. But to get back to what you said, Chris, I don't think there's any anything right now that they – I don't know that they know what to do as a university. I'm not talking about a coaching staff. If you want to say it's the coaches, that's fine. That's fine. But if they don't have help from across over in Kirkland, then it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to win. Who over there understands how to win? I'm hoping Daniel does, and I think he does. But – when you have to get things through a board of trust that, you know, I I don't know that they're anti-athletics. They just don't see the importance of athletics. Yeah. So that's what Deermeyer has to fight. Sure. Daily. A daily basis. Right. Now, we don't know. I mean, maybe they're not anti-Luke, but but I'm sure they're right. not, you know, all for it every day. <laughs> well, I'm saying they're not. They don't live and die with games like people on our board do or, or you know. Us guys, that's not Most their life. Die. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, speaking of the board, are. we ready for that mailbag? Let's sure, do it. Why not? <laughs> All right, let's get to the mailbag. We got about 15 questions, I think. So loaded mailbag. Chris, thanks for putting it out early. That, that's been my fault the last couple of weeks, but we got it out early and look at all the questions we got. So maybe we need to we need to start doing that. It is brought to you by Sutherland Belk, longest running sponsor of VandySports.com. They are a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt or in an accident, give Taylor Russell a call, 615-846-6200, to see what your rights are and if they can help. All right, let's start with TN Surge. Obviously, this season has been a huge disappointment. What steps would you like to see from Clark Lee during the remainder of the season to provide the building blocks for a successful season next year? That's a good question. Really good question. Actually, I, I go to the offense. You know, I we, we've talked offensively um, about, you know, their their scheme and, and trying to figure out what, they, what they've been trying to do. Um, and Clark mentioned on Tuesday the fact that you know, he thinks Jaden McGowan deserves more touches. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, he's got three catches in the last three weeks. That That's that's inexcusable. Uh, I don't care, you know, <laughs> I don't care who's the coach. Jaden McGowan is one of your best weapons. you got to get him the ball more than three times in three weeks. Now, I know there's things that go into that, right? Uh, Jaden McGowan is he's not the biggest guy. He's not really a red zone threat. He's a speed type of guy. And I think at Vanderbilt, that's historically been harder to get the ball to those guys because, you know, screen, but neither, neither here nor there. I think McGowan deserves more touches, but I, I, I go to the offense late in this season. Do they, do they change anything? Because I mean, nothing's been changed. I mean, I, I don't see any adjustments that have been made. Um, now, obviously, Ken Seals has been in, inserted, and I'm sure they've tried to make adjustments. 
but it hasn't it hasn't been executed. Um, and Luke, we talked before we got on today about the offensive line. When your offensive line is struggling as much as they are, <laughs> it just hampers you as an OC. I mean, it 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 really does. I just haven't seen them try to, I don't know, combat that in in any real you know effective way. Um, now there have been mistakes though too. So there's so many other issues. But offensive offensively specifically, Luke, I, I look I look there and see. Okay, does anything change here? Because I. If nothing changes, I don't know that fans can have any hope that it'll change much next year either. Well, the most important thing for Clark is, number one, address his – it's not offense, defense. Or not, of course, it'd be obviously it'd be great to win a game or two or whatever. That's great. But the most important thing is him looking at himself in the mirror, who's he got to get rid of, and keep that locker room. When you're at this time of year, and I've been through it a bunch at Vanderbilt, when you're sitting on two and five, getting ready to be two and six, more than, more than likely, uh, what you got to do is can't you can't lose that locker room. You've got to be talking to those players all the time, bringing in the guys that you trust that are quote leaders if you have leaders in that locker room, because that's the most important thing is the off season, because that's what you're leading up to. We got five games left. You got not, you got two off weeks in there too. So working between the ears is the most important thing that they can garner from this season. It has nothing to do with really wins and losses. It's what we're going to be able to do during the future. Because you can lose a locker room and then you're starting over again. So you can't afford to lose a locker room. If you've got guys in there that are negative and 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 not helping the situation and not working forward every day, then they you got to get them out of your locker room. This is a tough, 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 tough deal. Billy, I hear every week um, stuff about not playing to the structure of this or that, um, those things. And look, I, I'm not, I'm not a X's and O's schemes figured out what I'm watching, guys. So for me to make comments on that um, would be stupid and irresponsible. But when, when the coaches are saying those things, I, I trust their judgment to look at the film and. If they say that's that's an issue, okay, I'll buy it. How do you get out of that? Are your are your players not smart enough? I have a kind of a hard time believing that. Um, are is, is there something wrong in how you're calling stuff, or are players not reacting quickly enough to something? Uh, is that the speed of a call issue? I don't know. Is that is your system? too complicated to where guys aren't figuring stuff out? Are you doing something in practice to where you're not doing the things that would emphasize eye discipline or whatever the issue is? I don't know what the solution is, but when I, I feel like I keep hearing part of what the problem is, and so my challenge to the coaching staff is figure out what you can do to fix that, whatever that answer is. Yeah, well, uh, we'll see. That that that's that's been my biggest thing. I think offensively, does anything change? So that's what I would say um, down the stretch of the season in terms of a building block. Uh, let's see here, Papa Hick for VU. Why should fans have any belief that Coach Lee is going to right the ship? Things go from bad to worse each and every week, and Lee gives the same canned responses each and every week. I'm at a loss as to why anyone who's watching the same thing I am believes that he is head coaching material. I mean, we've we've answered this before. I don't know that we need to add anything else. Um, 
Luke, I don't know if you really have anything else there. I mean, the the response is, I mean, we, fans get caught up in in press conferences and and things like that. I mean, Mark Stoops that that call in show I think was a good example. Um, but I mean, Clark has always been really measured in his responses. I think he and he's he's one of the more honest coaches. I think so. Um, you know, he's going to tell it like it is. I mean, I so. But yeah, we, we've answered that question uh, before. Let's see. All right, Knoxville Door 94. If Clark Lee is going to continue to be the coach, at what point would it be reasonable to expect a bowl game? Year five, maybe year six. Next year's schedule is brutal and would take a miracle. Yeah, I mean, we, we talked about it, I think, before we got on here. Luke, you said year five, I think. Um, <clears throat> but <clears throat> really, again, excuse me, yeah. really. Every Vanderbilt coach that's ever been there should be getting given five years, unless it's just an obvious situation like Rod Dowhower was, where you didn't have a shot because of ineptness. But here's my thing, and I mentioned Chris, you'll know this. I mentioned to Joey, he's too young for this, but when John McKay took over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and they asked him, they were an expansion team, and they asked him how long it'd take to win. And he turned to his assistant, Mon, and said, hey, Mon, how long is my contract for? He said, you got five years. He goes, year five. So, you know, they know when they take over something like you're taking over, that Clark took over, and what John McKay took over, they know it's going to take five years at least to get what you want. Now, just everyone got excited, including myself, last year when we won two conference games late in the year. We thought that would carry over. It mm-hmm. has. And that's that's the reason why I think year five. I think next year's schedule is just way, way too. Not that any schedule is going to ever be easy when you play in the SEC and you've added Texas and Oklahoma, but I think being able to control the schedule now, which I understand that's going to happen, uh, maybe getting out of some non-conference games that you shouldn't be in to start with, that's going to be key moving forward to when you can get hopefully expect a, a six-win season. Look out, I thought this morning this is semi-related to to this, but I mean th- their problem is gravity. I mean, among other things. Um, the the gravity of just losing and losing and losing of, of walking into the stands. I mean <laughs> we we had an auction for four tickets on the 50 on our site for you know, the, the condition is it, it stays on the site, only vain. We didn't have a bidder for that this week. Best seats in the house. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know how you can't – I don't know how you overcome that. Um, you know, again, I, I see a school that that insists on kind of doing things its its way, and, um, you know, they, they take things that are more or less equalizers and celebrate them as huge victories. You know, when, when the game is changing and they're not adapting, I, I just don't think that you can – I don't know. I don't know how you get out of the ditch you're in until you're more proactive in the other things that have popped up. That now you just you're just catching up with other people with NIL. And I was thinking this morning, like if Lipscomb and Belmont started football programs this morning, I, what do you think the chances are they'd have a better NIL situation a year from now than Vanderbilt? Yeah, I don't know their, who their big money people are, but probably be better. I don't know. I don't yeah. know that. And that's that's just kind of where they are. 
Yeah, just one one of the many questions we we've got uh, to answer uh, about about this program. Of course, not just on the field, uh, but Luke Wyatt is our guest, and and Luke Wyatt is brought to you by Maynard Nexon Government Contracts Group. We uh, forgot to get to that read earlier, but uh, we'll get to it now. And they advise government contractors on all aspects of their businesses. They've got a proud focus on matching legal solutions to business needs. Give them a call, 256-551-0171. All right, let's keep it rolling here. Who you with, VU, asks, uh, when do the repeated blowouts move Coach Clark Lee from there is no way they fire him after the season to this isn't recoverable and a change needs to be made? I mean, I think that's, that goes in the same mold of, of what we've talked about before. Um, I don't think anything really needs to be added there unless unless y'all have got something there. Uh, let's see here. Oh, here's a good one. Dorfan6, do y'all think Clark Lee hires a new offensive coordinator after this season? Yes or no? It's tough to answer that right now. Um, get to me after the season, I might have a better answer. My gut tells me no. Um, just because I think the respect that, that he and everybody else on that staff has for Joey, uh, and, and I think what he did last year with that offense, um, I wouldn't be surprised if, if they go in a different direction in terms of, uh, in terms of a scheme and maybe adding, uh, whether it's a consultant or a specialist or whoever, uh, to come in and maybe, you know, maybe switch some things up. I don't know that they make a move in terms of bringing in a new coach, um, but that'll that'll certainly be interesting to see. But there's some other position groups I think, you know, and maybe even defensively that that we might have some changes. But it, we'll see af- after after this season. But I don't I don't know that that's it's tough to answer. My gut tells me no, but scheme wise, I think there there could be some changes. Where do we rank statistically offensively? Well. Um, uh, 11th, I think bottom four. Yeah. But I mean, what, what stat is that? That's well, yeah, most, most offensive categories actually passing. I think they're seventh overall, um, passing yards per game. So well, it's not I, as I, bad as they've been, but I think, I think the answer to that is probably no. I think there will be changes. My guess is there, there are other spots. I think. I would guess that there will be changes before it's an offensive coordinator, but this is SP plus, and this is the, this is Vanderbilt's highest ranking in the computers. And I think SP plus, I could be wrong. I think a lot of the ratings are done around offensive and defensive yards per play. I might be wrong. There's probably somebody out there listening that that knows the answer to that better than I do. This is Bill Connolly's system. And I, I think this, probably either minimizes or does not consider the impact of turnovers, which obviously if, if that's true, then I think the offense would rank lower. But SP Plus ranks Vanderbilt's offense 63rd nationally, ranks its defense 113th, and its special teams 27th. Um, so that, that tells me they see the offense as average, they see the special teams as good, they see the defense as awful. Let me stop everybody right there. Where do we rank in turnovers? Like I said, turnovers doesn't factor in it, but they are they are well. I don't look this up. They are not just last in the SEC in in turnovers. They are last in the SEC in interceptions and last in the SEC in fumbles lost. 
And if and and most Saturdays, look at every box score. Whoever had the most turnovers, and I don't know what the percentage is, but it's very high. Lose the game. Let me uh, give me a minute to pull this up. I want to look at yards per play data here. And, and now, look, I, I will also couch this by saying I think this is a little bit inflated because I think what's happening is they're getting down three touchdowns in games against competitive teams. And then at the end, they are piling up some stats against second and third team defenses. So I yeah, think that's for- part of it. But just the numbers as they are, uh, yards per play on offense, they are averaging 5.9 yards per play on defense. They are giving up 6.1. So that is probably why they are ranked higher in SP plus than they are the other rankings. Because I think, I think I, I, I could be wrong. But I think that yards per play is a big determinant of of rankings there. But yeah, Luke, you do have a, you do have a point there. Although I do think that's mitigated a little bit of the, that effect. Some of the stat sheet stuff I think gets made up after the game is decided. So, well, I guess my point is this: if if and you can't take away the turnovers, that's part of football. Right. But you've had two seventeen point losses and a twenty four point loss. As a coach, you can make those 10-point losses and you can make those 17-point losses, and I'll tell you how. I've seen coaches do it. Rod yeah. Dyer, master at Vanderbilt. When we went to Florida and played, we lost, I think, 24-7. to Well, he knew we had no chance to win the game, so what did he do? You just hand the ball off, hand the ball off, run the play clock down. You can yeah. – you want to do that, you can do that. I don't think we've done that. We've pretty much, except for one time in the Florida game, we've gone for it on fourth down a lot. We were just horrendous. We were one of 13 on fourth, third, fourth downs. So when you have a situation like that, uh, there's nothing you can do. I mean, to me, the final game doesn't matter much. It does to fans. But when you get in the fourth quarter and you go, you know, what do we want to do here? Do we want to make, the, make it camouflaged and we only lose 31 to 14? Do you feel better? Or if you lose to Kentucky, 38? to 21 instead of 45 or 28, you know, to me, that doesn't matter. I'm the kind of guy that's going to go ahead and try to get the first down. To circle back kind of to something Billy asked earlier about the UNLV game. Look, I I think if they go back and do the UNLV game over and they win it, okay, they are what three and three and five, four at this point, three and because they're two and five and, I don't think people feel great, but at least there's the, okay, if you want to give it optimistic viewpoint here, um, you could say Auburn at home is potentially winnable because Auburn can't move the ball. And and maybe at South Carolina, they had won that game in forever. If you want to play devil's advocate, they are <laughs> maybe due to beat. And heck, they've beaten Georgia two or three times since they've beaten South Carolina. Um, I, I think there's at least a little bit of, you could grasp for some optimism there, even though I think that the chances of them beating both of them would, would still be unlikely. And okay. You, you eliminate the two pick sixes over Kentucky. Maybe that's a game in the fourth quarter. I mean, it it did get a little interesting there for a while. Uh, Vanderbilt fans are always ones to, to try to grasp onto any hope. Um, I, I think there's, we're getting, 
not going to say far-fetched. We're reaching a little bit. But if you're looking for a scenario where it feels different, I, I think that's it. And again, the, the per the per play data, even though I think it's a little bit skewed, is a little bit interesting. Yeah, I mean, Chris, you look at Saturday, you wouldn't have thought they had uh, 6.4 yards yards per play. I that, mean, that was third and fourth downs, guys. They were they were one of 13 on third and fourth downs. The, the stat sheet was not – although, again, Florida had, I think, 415, 420 yards going into the fourth quarter and then just kind of was able to coast from there. So it was a little bit skewed. But, yes, Billy, the box score – um, so there were some things in the box score that indicated it should have been a closer game than 24 points. Yeah. And we're not running All enough right. offense, guys. We're not running enough plays. Yeah, That's exactly – yeah. That's what Clark said. He said, you've got to have more snaps. <laughs> you just – you have to. 62 snaps on offense on average, 69 on defense. Yeah, and with, with young guys out there, Luke, we talked about it before. You're just – you know, you can't make it that hard on them. You know, it's like – it's like no. putting one hand behind their back, you know? Um, all right. We've got a lot of others to get to here, so let's kind of rumble through. All right. From Colombiano Door, we now have two games in a row where Vanderbilt did not lose the turnover battle and also committed fewer penalties than the other team. The result was the same, blown out. Now that those excuses are gone and we've played complete games, per se, which members of the staff would you keep and which would you change if you were in charge at the at the end of the season? That, um, one, that one's aimed at me. I can tell you that. Go ahead. <laughs> no, go, go ahead, Luke. You, if it's aimed at you, <laughs> I want to hear. What, I want to hear your take. Well, I mean, I think defensively, I I go defensively. Um, I, I'm that's as far as I'll go. I mean, I don't. You know, I don't think the defensive line has been as good as we thought they might be. Um, and I just think, yeah, I think defensively is where there will be changes. Um, but the the wording of his kind of the lead up statements to his question, I think, are, are are good points. I mean, you know, for for the past couple of weeks or past several weeks, actually, we'd been talking about, you know, Vanderbilt, you know, losing the turnover battle and, and penalties. And, and they started to clean things up. I mean, Florida, it was a relatively clean game. Vanderbilt's defense just didn't didn't really show up. Um and so I, I think he he has a point there, uh, but yeah, I, I go in terms of changes, Luke. And I, I mean, I think I think you would agree defensively. I think is where I look. Uh, two things: number one, <clears throat> technically we won the turnover battle against Missouri, but we really didn't because yeah. our fumble that we got was when the clock expired at the end of the first half. Yeah. So that wasn't winning a turnover battle. Secondly. I prefaced it by saying we need to be gifted. We need to be winning the turnover battle four to one, five to one. That's how you win a game. And that hasn't happened. No. And it, but it did happen in the in the wins last year. Florida at home. I mean, that's Block. that's what happened. Muff yeah. punt over in the end zone for a touchdown. Ducky mm-hmm. gifts us with a hand to the face when the game's over. That's how you have to win at Vanderbilt right now. All right. VU Matt 23. He's got a couple here. First one, Bryce Cowan seemed like he was one of our best playmakers in practice, but he can't get on the field despite our struggles at linebacker. Could his athleticism help us? I am not quite sure why we haven't seen more of uh, 
Bryce Cowan. I'm sure the coaches could give a good reason for that. I mean, we talk about these young guys a lot and why we haven't seen more of them. Uh, we don't know. I mean, we have no clue what's going on within that program. Um, but, you know, they I think they've they've struggled at linebacker these last couple of weeks, obviously with Kane Patterson out. Um, and look, they just I look at this team and their team speed, especially at linebacker, I just still don't think is good enough. Um, I mean, and it shows against Florida. I mean, Montreal Johnson had 18 carries, 138 yards, um, seven and a half yard average. I mean, it, you know, a lot of those were plays where a, a faster, maybe stronger defense holds them to three or four yard gain. But Vanderbilt, a lot of times they would break a couple of tackles and make it out to a 15, 20 yard gain. Um, and I just think that that's, that's the difference right now with this team. And I, yeah, I think Bryce Cowan can help. He's still young. I think he's going to be a really good player. Um, but Luke, he's a guy, he's another one of those young guys that, you know, you run the risk of, of, hit, of making freshmen, you know, young mistakes, or I guess yeah. he's a sophomore now, technically. Uh, yeah. yeah I, I agree with that. I, I, here, I think our linebackers are decent when it's the plays are in front of them. Does that make sense? When they have to yeah. run something yard side to side, we don't have any Jamie Winborns, Jamie Duncan. There's no kids that can run from sideline to sideline and make plays. Uh, they're more thumpers. They'll, they'll hit you. The Patterson kids and Ethan Barr will hit you. They're, they're physical. But in today's game where you have to make plays in space, it's not very help. It, it doesn't help you a lot. Yeah. Uh, two thoughts here, Billy. And, and I don't think Bryce Cowan had as good a camp this year as C.J. Taylor had last year. But you could see C.J. and you're like, I don't know where they put him, but they got to find room for him. And I said the same thing all August with Cowan. I was like, not as good as CJ is, but I think if, if you can say best 11, he's one of their best 11. So I don't know how you figure out. The problem is this is, and I, I don't know how much, it's not like these guys are all superstars. They're just sitting on the bench. It's relative to what they have. I, I think that Bryce Cowan, again, is one of the best 11. Like if this were pro football and you can make trades, I feel like they've got a glut of guys like that are hybrid safety slash linebacker. CJ Taylor. A lot of people think Ricky Wright is better cast as a linebacker than a safety. Bryce Cowan. Like if if you said just forget position, who are the the best players on this defense? I think there are a lot of those guys that are, you know, tweeners. Yep. Yes. Yes. And. You, obviously, you cannot build a lineup of eleven of those guys, but like name name a defensive lineman they've got that's that's popping off the page right now. There's there's not really any of them. You got Nate Clifton, who is I think very assignment sound and always grades well at Pro Football Focus, has for for two or three years. So I think they've got guys that do things that don't show up, but they don't have any studs on the front the front seven either that that I can see. And I don't know. I think that. You've just got a collection of parts where they they sort of stockpile, relatively speaking, to the rest of the roster at certain places. Where you've got some other places where if you could like make a trade, um, maybe you could ship one of those guys off for for somebody that that could plug in at another spot if that makes sense. 
Secondly, from VU Matt23, after the Bama game last year, the administration supposedly met with Coach Stackhouse after what he needed to change, about what he needed to change. And it seems like he has changed things, and the admin has increased support since then as well. Are you guys expecting a similar type of thing happening this offseason with Clark, since like Stack, his job is not in jeopardy, but it's clear things aren't heading the right way? I thought about this a few days ago. You know, I, I, I don't know that uh, the administration will go to Clark, you know, and and maybe scare Clark or, you know, it, it wouldn't be any 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 threatening type of of meeting. But I think it'll be a meeting to just say, hey, coach, what what else? What more do you need from us? Right. What, what's what's the plan of, of attack here? You know, what, what's the plan to to not let a season like this ever happen again? Um, and, and, you know, Deermeyer, Candice Lee, they obviously, they have the right to do that. I think that will happen. I don't think it's, <laughs> I mean, is, I don't know if it's as dire as Stackhouse, Chris. I mean, I don't, I don't think it is after that Alabama game. I, I think, you know, we had thought some real changes were going to be made. Uh, we're not thinking that right now. Um, you know, I think some fans probably think that, but nothing's happening in terms of his job security. But Luke, I mean, it's pretty pretty easy to say there's going to be a lot of very important conversations this offseason within the staff um, and also from the admin to the staff, I think. Yeah, uh, it's kind of what I've referred to earlier. The most important thing about this season is the end of it and what happens. Because if they if he goes, like, like you said, if he goes in and they have those conversations, what can we do to help you? And he says, well, I can get X coordinator, but I need X amount of money and he gets shot down, then you can forget it. Yeah. Because it's been done. That was what was done with, with Bobby Johnson. Everyone wants to criticize Bobby for keeping his staff. I know for a fact he was told, no, we're not going to spend any more money on coordinators. We're not going to spend any more money. You have X amount of dollars for your staff. You figure it out. So if they're going to keep doing that, then no. It's not going to be successful with Clark, and it's probably not going to be successful with whoever they bring in if Clark is gone after year five. So that's the most important thing is after the season, he better be told yes, 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 yes. If he's not, <laughs> <that's> <laughs> boring Billy. <laughs> no, you got him last week. I got him this. <laughs> okay. We're even then. Well, I will give you an answer that is uh, mostly hitting the question. I think it's it's sort of sidestepping and, and taking into an area where I think is a little different. Look, Vanderbilt's a giant echo chamber. The, the, the same people in Magugan were the same people that are have been there for forever. The 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 associate AD they just hired Derek Grice, and I don't know Derek Grice from from anybody. Um, and so this is not critical, but he he came from two places. I talked to somebody who was familiar with him at Georgia Tech and said. He was at Georgia Tech um, and San Diego State at times where they were two of the most horribly run athletic directors, you know, athletic departments in the country. So, again, you've you've got – and I'm not saying that people that come from losing cultures can't give – sometimes the best way you realize um, here's how we do something is I've seen all the ways not to do something. So I'm not, not saying he can't be part of the solution, but I'm saying it's interesting to me that – when I did the, the little background I've done on him, that he was working at two athletic departments that were not well run. 
again, Vanderbilt's a giant echo chamber. Has been for probably as long as Luke has been there. I, I think what you need is you need to pay some consultants who know what the heck is going on, who are familiar with how you win at Georgia and Alabama and the places that really win, and then maybe how you do it at Stanford and Duke and stuff like that where it's been successful and come in and, and say, this is what you need. And they need to not back away from that. But Vanderbilt, what it always does is it it equivocates and, well, this is how we do things here. That's not how we do things other places and finds reasons why not. And that's that's why we end up having the same podcast for, for nine years. Look, I've got to interview. This right here, while it's on my mind. And I'm going by the 40 years I was around. What I heard from administrators, people on campus, and all that, except for rare occasions, is football is way too difficult. We have 16 other sports here, or 15, now 16, and we're going to focus on those sports. Football is too tough of a deal. We're going to be there. We're going to get the money that football allows us to get. That's where football helps us, and we're going to be competitive in other sports. Look, the athletic department at Vanderbilt has won more national championships than the University of Tennessee since 2020, Would you, or since 2000. Would anyone have thought that? Let's talk, I'm talking about the athletic department as a whole. And that's what they were. They don't worry about just football. Like, we're talking no. about football. That's what they care about. And they say, okay, well, gosh, we've won more than the state university, which puts in millions and millions of dollars towards athletics. And here we are, small private school, and we've got more national titles than they do. Luke, I want to ask you a follow-up question there. Sorry, Billy, that I didn't know. I've got one, too. But, (laughs) but Luke, in in your estimation, what is the – what is the percentage – in other words, let's, let's take the effort level, resources, everything that you need to win in football. And let's apply that to to men's golf, women's tennis, all those other sports that, that get equal attention or however you want to phrase it. Is is it does it take one percent, two percent, five percent, ten percent of the effort level and commitment to win in those sports that it does at football? What what would you handicap that as? Well, I, I don't know what percent on the other sports, but I can just tell you this. What it takes in football, we're we're at well, we were and we'll find out at the end of the year where we are now, we were at 20% of what everybody else was doing. Yeah. Let me say that. Uh, But now I will say this too, in defense of athletics, if you set football aside, just set football aside. And I know that's the one everybody says, well, football is the only one that matters. Well, that's true. But if you have a daughter, Chris, or, or Joey, or, or Billy, one day, if you have a daughter and she's a track star, you would want the very best for her at track, correct? Mm-hmm. I mean, am I correct there? Sure. So don't fault them for being good at the other things and putting – I'm talking about as a fan, but we're talking about football only. We're – yeah, obviously, we lag way behind. Our ideas of what we're doing football ain't working. We got proofs in the pudding. 97 out of 100 years mm-hmm. of figures. I don't know, Billy. Let let me let you go first since I cut you off, and then I'll, I'll well. I want to I want to push back a little bit on something Luke said. Well, thinking about all this, I I think about the Vanderbilt baseball program, right? Twenty years ago, before Tim Corbin got to Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt baseball was an afterthought. I mean, Tim Corbin had to build that stadium. He had to build. He he got a player like a David Price to build that facility. Um, 
and I just think that's exactly what we're dealing with here. I mean, maybe not exactly, but similar, right? Vanderbilt football. I mean, yeah, James Franklin, cloud of dust, you know, but he's out of here. Derek Mason, you know, three straight wins versus Tennessee, but there was nothing really consistently substantial. You know, you have never had a Clark Lee at, at Vanderbilt that, that mentally, you know, he's, he's not going anywhere. Um, so I, I look at that and, and I say, that's how long potentially something like this is going to take. Chris, how long did it take Corbin to make the, uh, uh, to make it to Omaha or even make the NCAA tournament? Got here in 03, uh, got to the NCAA tournament in year two. In fact, got to a super regional year two, got to Omaha in 2011. So that would have been what, eight years in? Okay. So, yeah. But so Cor- Omaha, Corbin I- is it? Corbin is it? an island into himself and that is why he has succeeded he he took that baseball program out of mcgugan pretty quickly got got his own island set over behind the left field wall and as i've said before it's like a it's like a nuclear war kind of thing it's a okay um if (laughs) if you lose me i mean and then this is me this is i'm not saying these are reflective of tim corbin's thoughts but this is how i see it you can't afford to lose me or, or any any defense you have of of athletics is is out the door, and, and the the torrents are going to turn on the, the people running the university if they lose Tim Corbin. And so, because they're scared of that, and they know that'll open up. To, they, they, Vanderbilt can sit back and say, "Well, you can't say we don't do athletics right because look at Tim Corbin." So the minute they lose Tim Corbin, that all goes out the window. Which by setting up his own operation and running it separately, sort of gives him. Uh, license may not be the right word here, but cover to do kind of whatever he wants within a decent amount of latitude. That that's how he's won. He is he has isolated himself from the rest of the university in that regard. I guess what I'm pointing to is what how does Clark Lee get to that point? Right, Tim Corbin's not going to be at Vanderbilt forever. How does he become that Tim Corbin? How does Vanderbilt football turn into that Vanderbilt baseball? Um, and it's it's going to take a while. Because it took a while with Corbin, right? But but he they yeah. had the right people in place. So uh, I just wanted to bring that up. And Luke, I don't. I mean, I don't know. I guess you were there under Corbin when he not under Corbin, but when Corbin was there and experienced all of that. That's probably for a podcast for another time. Um, but I just think it's interesting. I think there are some comparisons there, and and what it took for Corbin. I mean, the asks, the different different things he had to do, um, which I think I think is interesting. But Chris, sorry to. to no, no, no. That's a, that's okay. And sorry, I'm I'm having Oreo issues, which is why I keep getting up and walking away from the camera. Um, I I, I think that look, they are they are doing well in in women's bowling, golf, and tennis, things like that. But you look at places where they used to win. Uh, men's basketball has not won an NCAA tournament game since what was it, 2011? Been been twice. Set an all-time SEC record for losing. This decade, losing streak had you know, um, women's basketball. Women's basketball's not had a winning season since 2015-16. Has not had a winning season in the conference since 2012-13. That used to be their bell cow sport, uh, but but probably before baseball was. I, now I think about the time Corbin went to Omaha in 2011. That's probably when it started to flip, but. Yeah, they're winning. I I would push back on the notion that they're winning and all these other things because didn't the, say. The, I said, but the yeah. ones are winning in, they right. won 
national championships or more than University of Tennessee. So if that's okay. it, why yeah. isn't Tennessee good in tennis? Why isn't Tennessee good in golf? Yeah. But maybe, know, maybe they don't care. I don't I, I I don't I don't mean to put words in your mouth. I'm just saying I think this goes deeper than football. Okay. <laughs> All right. No, we're I mean uh, okay, we'll, we'll talk hey, about it. What what started the downfall in basketball? I would say Kevin not recruiting while well, if you want to go back Darius Garland. Well, yes, okay. But why can't they get out of it? You tell me. I don't know. And they they finished what in the SEC last year? Tied third, for fifth. Third, fourth. They were in the upper half. They won 11 yeah. conferences. I mean, that's okay. whether we don't admit it, we may not like a coach, or we may like a coach, but that's progress. There was progress. I mean, they, they've made progress in basketball the last two years. It's just not – it's not translated anything meaningful yet. And why did women's basketball, when did it fail? When they hung on to Melanie Balcom too long, I guess. I, I'm not super familiar with that program. Right. They did. But I mean, they just they just hired the coach that didn't didn't Stephanie White win women's NBA coach of the year this year? I mean, I thought I saw a tweet about that, that tells me it's systematic, guys. That's, this is uh this is an interesting debate. <laughs> this what wow. Yeah. 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 I I think football is is probably more systematic than basketball. I think we can agree on that. Yes. yes. Um to what degree who knows? I think after Stallings left it felt like there was a uh-oh, what's next? You know, who's going to come here and do what Stallings was able to do? Uh, and it hasn't really happened. I mean, yeah, Bryce Drew that those first couple of years, but other than that, you know, it, it feels like almost we're looking at Tim Corbin being the if you're going to win at Vanderbilt at a high level consistently, you know, not just for three years or four years or five years, you know, you almost need to separate yourself, right? Establish yourself and establish your your dominance over the athletic department. And Corbin's been there for what twenty one. Is it 21 now? So that might be the way. And I think, I, I mean, I think Clark knows that. So, and I can talk fire stallings. You can remember fire stallings? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Early, early. Oh, because we lost early in the tournament, NCAA tournament. We went to the year, the Shane Foster year, when we lost to Siena, I think it was, or whatever, or Murray State with AJ Ogilvie, whatever it was. People wanted to fire him. They think, well, if you're not the last team playing, fire them. <laughs> well, I, I think Kevin's was a little deeper than that, but that's we got. I've got to be out of here in about ten minutes. Um, so let's pick the the best one or two that we can get to in that time, Billy. All right, from Hogan Nose. Uh, let's see here. How worried should we be about Barton Simmons leaving? Um, I. I don't think worry. I mean, as long as Clark's there, Barton's going to be there. Um, I don't. I don't. I'm not worried at all. I don't know if you guys differ. Uh, I, I don't. Do, I mean, they're best friends. They're unless he just doesn't think it's going to work, then he'd leave. 
All right. Hogan knows Minter, Jesse Minter, saw the light real quick and went on to greener pastures. How hard will it be to get quality coaches here at Vandy after this disappointing third year under Clark Lee? Had an ex-Vandy coach tell me that Vandy football is a great job six out of seven days a week. <laughs> Sound, uh, that seems accurate. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't – you just got to pay them. I mean, I think you you got to pay up. I mean, it's yeah, it's probably harder because you are at Vandy, but I mean, if you offer a coach more money, you know, I mean, to to come over, like like Will Muschamp is a, is a good example, right? His son's coming to Vandy, and I'm not saying Vanderbilt's going to hire him, but I think that's a guy you potentially look at, potentially throw some money at, and say, hey, come lead our defense. Now, I don't know if that happens. I think I think you know you've heard that floated out there. Um, I just think that's that's a scenario you're looking at potentially. Um, but how hard will it be, Luke? I don't know. I mean, how hard will it be for Vandy to get quality coaches over in new coaches at least now? Well, it's like I said earlier. If you want to hire, I, I don't think you can hire whoever you not not anyone you want, but he could hire a lot of people if they give him the money. If he if he doesn't have the money and they limit him who he can hire or raises that he can give where needed, it won't work. And that's the whole thing. You, you said it. It's money. It's all money. Well, may, maybe. Yes and no. I mean, saw the light and leave for Michigan. That seems a little framed a little harshly. I mean, Michigan's a top five, ten program in the country. Bl- blaming it. Blaming I mean, most coaches would have left in that spot, right? Yeah. Now, now that points to a problem. When you get a coach of that class, you can't keep him. Although, I guess you could say that they they maybe have done that with Justin Lustig. So, I'm not going to say it's impossible, but I'm guessing that is the exception to the rule. So, again, it's it's how do you how do you get a point to a, back to a point where you're not just completely underwater, which has been the whole discussion we've been having for an hour now. Fun times. I'll end it there, Chris. We, we we do have a couple, but we've answered. I mean, we've answered the bulk of them. Yeah. Um, hey, you and uh, Joey did a basketball podcast. Yes, we Listen did. Listen to it. Listen to most of it. Good stuff. Um, we'll have basketball yeah, Joey, cover a month from now. Joey's going to be down at Media Days, uh, in, I think it's in Birmingham, so he'll have so some. I. Some stuff for that. There you go, Chris. Um, so yeah, basketball. I think fans are looking forward to basketball all of a sudden. And I'll I'll be trying to go over and and get some baseball coverage um, when I get a chance. It it helps having a bye week next week. Mm-hmm. Um, Tuesdays just kind of wreck my my day with having to to get out to the the football presser and everything. So that frees up a little bit of time for me. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll have. We'll have some alternatives <laughs> soon enough, I suppose, is a good way to put it. So, yeah, I think. I, and th- thanks a- to both of you guys for for being here. That these are these are no fun. There's sort of no win situations, and that's that's what I hate about this time. I, I know people want coverage. We've got sponsors that have paid for it. Um, I I just reach a point where I struggle. To, to know what to say because people want honest answers 
but but the honest answers are the same ones we've been recycling for you know weeks slash years um <laughs> and they're also the same ones that that tick people off you know the the thing that I've learned in this job is people don't really care whether you're right about something you just sort of get labeled as is negative it doesn't matter whether that's true or not um and then and then they get mad um so yeah that's that's kind of the spot we're all in and i appreciated you joining me under these difficult circumstances sure thing enjoying it <laughs> all right guys <laughs> uh thank you for for listening or watching uh thank you to our sponsors uh, thank you to those who who watch us and subscribe to the site. For Luke White and Billy Derrick, I'm Chris Lee. Thanks for listening to and watching the Mandy Sports Podcast. We'll see you again soon.